Uh, we do know you're here among us. Uh, we believe that you're, uh, we live in a world that's not just made up of physical particles, but there's a whole other reality that we actually live in at the same time, an invisible world that has a lot of activity going on in it, a lot of chatter happening. And a lot of the chatter uh, comes from the, uh, the, the enemy of our souls. But a lot of the chatter and a lot of the words spoken come straight from you and your spirit. So would you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us? And would you give us courage and wisdom in how to respond? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I uh, went into my kids' bedrooms this morning and I stole some of their trophies. Um, and if, you're, if you have parents that are in youth sports and stuff, you get all kinds of trophies all right now. Uh, here's the first one I'll show you. And this is um, tournament championship trophy for one of my kids in basketball, all right? Tournament champion. She got this trophy. It's one of my daughters, actually. Uh, won the tournament championship, all right? Trophy. Now, this one, and I just dropped it and broke it, so I have to glue it today. See, it comes in pieces. It didn't come that way, all right? This is the same. They, they won the league. Same daughter. Same team, they won the league. They got a trophy for winning the league. That one's for a tournament. This is for winning the league, all right? So we get trophies sometimes when we win, all right? And I'll put this down in pieces, all right? Now this one, it's a basketball trophy, and this is a trophy for showing up, all right? It says participation. That's all it says. Smithville 2 basketball, participation. I got a trophy because I showed up, all right? This is another show-up trophy, I think. It doesn't say, and I thought, this is one of the cool ones. It's got a bobblehead. I mean, I, I'd rather have this than this, right? All right, so this is a, another one. You get it because you show up. And I'm not, it, it's good for kids to show up. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, and there's another one. This is another kind of show-up trophy. This one moves, all right? All right, so, you know, it's a, it's a girl's softball one. Now, one of the things I think sometimes, and it's just interesting. I mean, I love my kids. I love their athletic participation. And, and, uh, but sometimes I kinda, the whole show up, get a trophy thing is kind of an interesting part of our culture today. And I, I wonder sometimes if maybe we think, I think, okay, if I show up church, if I show up in Christian activities, isn't that enough to make God happy? Isn't that enough? I'm showing up. I'm participating. I'm showing up. Or are there times, or does God really evaluate us? And I'm not going to say winners or losers, but does God evaluate us? Does he examine? Does he know what's going on? And does he give us feedback? I mean, are there, are there, does God actually give us awards? Is he proud of us? Does he affirm us? Does he say way to go? And are there times where he says, can we talk about something? I mean, can we pull out the red pen and mark up some things? I mean, we have a number of people here who are teachers and professors at IU or teachers in the public school system and the red pen, you know. And does God, does, does, does Jesus have a red pen? And does he use it in our lives? And does Jesus, have, does, does Jesus give like affirmation and trophies for when you really do things well? And what we're going to look at the next few weeks um, from the book of Revelation is Jesus taught, Jesus, it actually is Jesus interacting with seven different churches and we're going to see that he, he applauds us in a lot of ways but then he pulls out the red pen and he says can we talk about some stuff 
And he's talking to Christians here, so he's talking to people like us, but there's a series of conversations and and things he has communicated to these churches. And we're gonna look at the fact that, you know, when we pray, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Go to that next one. Uh, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. And I've asked everybody to pray that daily until 11.11. I mean, you can pray it beyond that too, but I just want to challenge you to take 30 seconds to pray that for you, for your family, for friends. When you ask Jesus to reveal himself to you, sometimes he's going to reveal himself in a way that you're like, well, I didn't want that Jesus to show up. You, what's, the, what's the red pen doing in your hand? Because sometimes when Jesus, when we pray, Jesus, reveal yourself to me, what he wants to do is re- reveal myself to me. And it's like, ooh, I don't know about that. So sometimes when you pray this prayer, he will show up. He, he's going to show up in some ways where he's going to put his arm around you and say, way to go, way to go. But he's also going to show up sometimes and say, can we talk? There's some stuff we need to talk about. So go to the next one and then go to the next one. Um, what we've been doing in the last number of weeks we're going to do for a while is the book of Revelation. It starts off with the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revela- the book of Revelation is about the opening up and the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's not ultimately about end times. It's not ultimately about who's going to be who in the end of times and the last battle. Those things are part of the larger story, but the larger story, the big star of the show is Jesus. And he's unveiled in many ways. In the very beginning of the book, it's, it's uh, John. Go to the next slide, Stephanie. John is, uh, was the, one of the, Jesus' original disciples, friend of Jesus. This is probably 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, 96-ish AD. We don't know exactly when John wrote this. John was, see the area that I have circled in yellow? Is that part of the world in that time of history? So this is now, we just kind of zoomed in. This is modern-day Turkey, where the coast is there. Over to the left is modern-day Greece. All right, John is said was on the Isle of Patmos, which is down here in the yellow circle. Patmos was the place where you were sent if you were in exile. It was more prisoners, political exiles, and John was sent there because he would not stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. So we don't know why the emperor didn't have him killed, just had him exiled. And the emperor did have some during that time killed because they talked about Jesus, all right? John has this vision, and in the vision he sees a symbolic representation of Jesus. Jesus then tells him, write these things down and send them to these seven churches in Asia. All right, now I've marked on this map, again, these were real places. You could find them on real maps, and archaeologists have uncovered real evidences of these places and these uh, communities, all right? So uh, he wrote to a church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven cities in what is now modern-day Turkey. And Jesus, uh, and he was to write a message about each one. And um, just to give you a sense of space and stuff too, go to the next slide. Um, that's about the geographic region we're talking about. I mean, so it's you know, 150 miles across Indiana, I think. So it was, they were kind of close in proximity to each other. Of course, they didn't have automobiles and telephones and like that to communicate, but they were that kind of close in proximity. John would have known these churches or known people from these churches well before he was in exile, all right? Real people, uh, real places. All right, go to the next one. This week, the very first part is about Ephesus. Now, part of the reason I'm showing you this slide, part of the reason I showed you the state of Indiana uh, and things like that is I want you to know these are real people in real places. 
ordinary people just like you and me. These are not like hypothetical churches. They're not like churches of super saints. These are people who had to pay bills, who had marriages that weren't perfect, who had kids that didn't always obey them. They had people that had problems with each other in church. They didn't always like each other. These are ordinary people just like you and me who had to live real lives just like you and me. And it starts out, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. All right, so let's just jump right in and see what Paul has to say to the church of Ephesus. Now, uh, Ephesus was a, was a major town in that day. It was a, a centralized location for trading, so a lot of cosmopolitan influence. It was also the home of the temple to Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a huge temple to this goddess, Ar- goddess Artemis who had a lot to do with sexuality and fertility, and a lot of the temple worship that took place was basically sexual activity with prostitutes. But it was kind of part of the culture. Sex was part of the culture. All right. Now, if that isn't... If that, you can't connect to that. It's not a whole... It's not unlike the life we live today and even in Bloomington, Indiana. It's a cosmopolitan town uh, where sex is just an assumed part of the culture. Sex, not in the context of marriage, essentially. So he's writing to people who understand the kind of dynamics that you understand in life. That there's certain ways to follow Jesus. There's certain things that are, we're trying to figure out how to navigate following Jesus in a culture that doesn't necessarily follow Jesus. Okay? Here we go. Let's go ahead and read. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampsticks, lampstands. Now, earlier in the book, Jesus described himself in a number of different phrases. One of them was the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So every one of the churches now, he's going to reintroduce himself by one of these titles. Now, seven gold lampstands, in a nutshell, the symbolism there is the lampstand, this is a candlestick with a battery-powered candle, but this will work, all right? The lampstand was something that sat in the temple, and every Jewish person would have known this from their upbringing as children. There was a lampstand in the, in the holy place in the temple that was always to be lit, and that was indicative of the fact that God is always with us. So when, when a Jewish person would have read this letter or this part from John about the lampstands, um, they would have understood lampstand had this sense of God's presence and God's awareness. Um, seven in this case, because there's seven churches that were written to, um, seven was also kind of a number of completion um, in, the, in the New Testament and the Bible and stuff. But seven lamps. So the sense here is when Jesus said he walks among the golden lampstands, he's like, I know you. I know your life. I walk out among your life. So he, it's like I know what goes on in your house. I know the conversations you had this week. I know the problems you had this week. I know the conflicts you have. I know what goes on in that part of your house, in this part of your house. I know where you go to class. I know where you go to work. And it's the sense that Jesus is saying, I, I'm, I'm around you all the time. And, this was, and then he, he's saying that because he said, and this is what I see. He says, I know the things you do. This is Jesus talking again. And he's talking to a corporate sense, but he's talking to them then, and he's talking to us now, and he may be talking to you right now. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. So he's, you know, he's saying, way to go. 
You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. All right, so right here, go back there for a second. Right here, hey, I know what you're going through, and I know the ways in which you've had to be strong and had endurance and had hard conversations and way to go. But then he goes to this. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You're doing a lot of things well, a lot of things good. You're really strong in a lot of ways. And, and this was a time where there was this ongoing and even escalating persecution of Christians. So he's saying, way to go. But then he says, but I have a complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You do hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. And I'll explain what that is in a second. But here Jesus says, you're doing all these things well, but the one thing you're not doing well, you're not doing relationships well among yourself. And if you're like me, you're kind of like, but look, I'm I'm really doing good over here. Do you have to point that out too? But we're going to see why he does that. And he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. That phrase appears in all seven of these letters. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who's victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. In other words, in every every one of these churches, there's a promise. So there's an affirmation. You're doing well in this, this, and this. There's a correction. Here's a a complaint I have. But then there's also this deep-seated motivation of, you do this because I want to give you life. And he's not talking about heaven after you die. He's talking about life right now that's full of joy. All right? Now, there's three questions I'm going to pose to all of us this morning that kind of get to the core of what John's saying to the church in Ephesus. And there are three questions that in some sense I'm asking you individually and maybe even us corporately to take as kind of evaluative self-scrutiny questions. And, and not from me, but from Jesus in a sense. If Jesus were to ask you some of these things, all right, and we're saying, Jesus, reveal yourself to me, but I think he often reveals himself in ways like some questions or things he wants to know from us. Here's the first question. All right, and I'll explain this. When did you have to draw a line in the sand with someone you know? And you might be like, wait a minute, what does that have to do with this whole passage? Did you notice that at the beginning of the passage, he said, or the middle part, I have seen your hard work and your endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. In this sense, he's encouraging us to be intolerant. But he's not talking about people outside the church, so to speak. He's talking about in this context of people that are religious or whatever. You don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are liars. In other words, you're paying attention and you're not accepting certain people's truth because you don't think they're speaking from the spirit of Jesus. And then he says about the Nicolaitans that you also hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. I mean, those are kind of hard line words. Now, the Nicolaitans were people, in a nutshell, they were people who were trying to figure out, how do I follow Jesus but not stick out in the culture? How do I follow Jesus but still do the societal acceptable practices of like the sexual mores and sexual norms of the culture I find myself in Ephesus? How can I do this, follow Jesus, but not look weird with this whole thing about sexuality and where my idolatries lie? I mean, is that connected with anybody? How do I follow Jesus 
but not live according to the norms of my life today when the world around me says all this about sexuality and what should we adoring and giving our time and energy to as our idols. Because what we hate is, what we fear is, I don't want to stick out. I don't, want to, I don't want people who are not Christians to think I'm weird. So we're trying to figure out how can I kind of live in both worlds well. And what, I, what John is challenging, and he's affirming them, what Jesus is affirming in them is there are times where you have drawn the line in the sand and you've done a good job doing that. Now, that may sit with some of us kind of, it's like, wow, that's, Jesus is calling somebody liars here. He's saying he hates the evil deeds of certain people and he's basically saying you need to be intolerant of things. And there are times where you, those kind of hard kind of conversational realities are part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we should look for those. You don't go look for, pick a fight with somebody. But uh, some of you have had drawn the line in the sand conversation with people in your life where you've had to cut off a relationship. Maybe it, it probably wasn't about a doctrinal issue. It may have been about just something that had to do with your life with Christ. You knew that if you were going to continue to follow Christ wholeheartedly, that something about a relationship had to change. It may have been a dating relationship. It may have been a married relationship. It may have been a friend you work with, somebody you know, mom or dad. It may have been somebody you knew in a church that you felt like was pushing you in a certain way that didn't feel like it was the spirit of Jesus to you. And I know there are people here who have had to end relationships because they knew that Jesus was asking them to walk this way and the relationship was pulling them that way. That's what John is. That's what Jesus is saying to those people. Way to go. Way to go. I know those were hard conversations for you. I know that was difficult for you, but way to go. Because there are people that will always try to pull you away from following Jesus. Some of them wear religious garb. Some of them are pastors like me. Now, I'm not saying I'm trying to pull you away, but you need to always be even listening to what I say or Dan says or anybody that says in this church. And you need to discern, are they pulling me away from following Jesus or are they encouraging me to follow Jesus? If we're pulling you away, have the hard conversation, and then you may need to walk away. If that means you follow Christ in a, better because of, I'm, I don't think that happens here, but I'm not, I'm not going to be ignorant enough to think it couldn't happen here. All right? So there are times, and there are some of you right now that are probably debating and know you need to have one of these draw, draw the line in the sand kind of relational talks with somebody. Or in your mind, you need to draw the line in the sand. Because Jesus is saying to these people, way to go. Now, let me tell you uh, one of my own experiences with this. Have a, had a lo- have a long kind of standing relationship, or had one, with an individual who I knew through religious circles, church circles. And this was a person that frankly um, intimidated me and could control me. Um, because of my own issues, my own weaknesses, my own insecurities. There was a time, and, I, and talking with this person face to face, and you know that you guys know this too. You have this conversation with them in your head where you're drawing the line in the sand, and then you meet with them, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, okay, whatever you say. You know what I'm talking about. You have this conversation in your head and it goes really well. And you say what you mean and you say it with clarity, but say it with kindness, but you say it firm and it goes really well. Then when you actually see them in person, you're like, oh, no. sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This particular person, I had many of those times where I had this great conversation in my head. And then when I met with them, it was like, I just kind of melted. 
because uh, because I was afraid. I was a wimp. Whatever, I, whatever term you want to use, whatever biblical term, wimp. You know, whatever. This particular time, I had to call this person on the phone about something where I had to. It was a draw the line in the sand thing, and I was like, my heart was. You know, and again, you know what I'm talking about. You've had those times. And if you have it, you're not human, all right? And I call him on the phone, and I had to start saying, I had to have a draw-on-the-line-in-the-sand conversation. And this was somebody that, in some circles, people respect uh, spiritually. But that's, you know, that's, not, that's a whole other conversation. And in this particular time, I, I said what I wanted to say with clarity and with passion without being a harsh jerk to them. But it was a hard, clear, firm conversation. So hard, clear, and firm, the person hung up on me. I wasn't being a jerk. I really wasn't. I've been a jerk before. I know what that's like. I've had people hang up on me because I was a jerk, okay? This time I wasn't being a jerk. I was being clear and firm, and they didn't like the line being drawn. And I was drawing it out of the sake of, of Jesus. And I, I won't go into the details why. I hung up the phone, and I was just like... <sighs> And, and in the next few hours, I have never felt more elated in my life. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I couldn't sleep that night, not because I was exhausted, but it was because I really sensed, and hear me on this one, I really thought Jesus was really proud of me. And I thought, it's taken all these years for me to have the courage to have that kind of conversation. And I felt like Jesus was saying, way to go. Way to go. And I was just like, I, mean, I could have run a five-minute mile that night. I'd never come close to a six-minute mile in my life, but I could have run a five-minute mile if I would have ran that night. And it was because I finally realized, you know what, there are times where if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to draw lines in the sand in conversation with firmness and clarity and push back, overcome your fears and your weaknesses, which took me years to overcome. But it was like, I, I really, I remember writing in my journal, Jesus, I think you're proud of me. I really think you are. I feel that in me. I feel your pleasure. And I don't say that slightly or glibly, but I believe that does happen. I believe there's times where Jesus says, I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you. Way to go. And some of you have had those conversations. Some of you will have those conversations. So that's one question I want to ask about draw the line in the sand conversations. Have you had one? Do you need to have one? And if you've had one, I think Jesus is really proud of you. All right. Next question from this passage I'm going to tie this back to the text here in a second. Who is someone, if you've been in Exodus at all, you've seen this question. This is one of my favorite questions. I think it's a question we should probably ask ourselves regularly, and that's why I throw it up there. Who is someone who's been difficult for you to forgive, and how are you currently doing with it? You might say, okay, I don't remember the word forgiveness even being mentioned in this passage, Matt. What are we talking about forgiveness for? What is mentioned in this passage is when Jesus says, I have a complaint against you. I got issues with you. I got my red pen out. You're doing all these things well. You're having the hard conversation. You're drawing lines. You're understanding where truth is and what's not truth. And you're staying away from people that are pulling away from following Christ. But I have a complaint against you. You've lost your first love. You're not loving me, Jesus said, or you're not loving each other like you used to. And maybe it's because we're wearied by all the line in the sand conversations. And then what happens? We become suspicious, suspicious of other people, even that we love and he's saying then the relationships of your churches are becoming shallow and not together and loving because what, what breaks about relationship? Usually it's a forgiveness issue. 
I mean, think about when people talk about their marriages kind of losing love. Well, often it's because there's these little obstacles of issues that we can't seem to talk around. And they become these big obstacles between husband and wife. But it's also true in your friendships. Um, It's also true in this church. I mean, if you're human, like me, you will hurt people. And if you're human like me, you will be hurt by people. There are people in this church who have hurt people in this church. I have hurt people in this church. People in this church have hurt me. It's just a whole domino effect. It's like, well, why do we go to church then if we're going to just hurt each other? All right. I was having a conversation this week. There was a guy who came to my house, did some kind of plumbing kind of work. Uh, well, he wasn't, wasn't plumbing. I'm just saying that because I don't want to, I don't think anybody knows him here because he's from out of town. But he's, he's a Christian, and he started talking about the church he goes to, you know, an hour from here. And he knew I was a pastor, so even though he was there to do work for me, he kind of wanted to talk about church. I was like, okay. I really didn't want to about church. It was my day off. Like, I don't know, okay. But with a plumber, whatever. And he just started going off about this meeting they had as a congregation. They were trying to decide whether to let this organization use their building because this organization had, some people thought they were liberal, some of them were, so we shouldn't let them use our building. And, and this guy just, he sat on, my, sat on my front porch and he's getting worked up when he's telling about this, this debate among the congregation and this congregational meeting. And he said, and I finally told these people, this is why I don't belong to any church. We always end up fighting. He said, I will not belong to any church. I won't do anything because I... <clears throat> And I was standing there thinking, but that's all we've got is the church. That's what Jesus gave us. And I, I'm not going to go into all my history, but I've seen the worst of worst in a lot of churches. I've been a part of it, right in the center of it. And I know people can be ugly to each other, really, really ugly. And I can be ugly to other people. But Jesus loves the church. I mean, he's taking time to tell John, tell these churches this. He loves his bride. Is his bride perfect? No. Is his bride beautiful all the time? No. Does his bride really irritate him? I'm sure. But there are some people that have this mindset of, I just don't do church. The American church is defunct. It's, no, it's failed. I'm just like, that's what Jesus left us. That's his bride. So you might think, yeah, I can't because I don't deal with these people. But maybe that's part of your issue to try to figure out. How do you live in a community of people who are human like you are, who are growing in forgiveness and reconciliation and confessing to one another? But we're not there yet. So again, I'll ask you, who is someone who's been difficult for you to forgive and how you're currently doing with it? And I'm saying maybe that person is part of a spiritual community. Maybe it's this church. Maybe it's church back home. Maybe it's a Christian group you're a part of. I, and Jesus would say, you know, that's, that bothers Jesus if we let those things stick. Even to the point where he said, if you don't repent, and repent in this case, he's just saying, if you don't stop living your life in that unforgiveness, distant relationship that you've created with people in your spiritual community, Jesus says, if you don't, I'm going to take the lampstand away from you. You know what that's like he's saying? If you can't learn to love others who have hurt you, if you can't love others who are unlike you, if you can't love others who irritate you in your community, Jesus says, not in a mean way. I'm leaving, is what Jesus says. I'm leaving. I'm taking the lampstand from you. 
And he's not saying, I'm taking my ball and going home. That's not Jesus. But he's saying, I will not exist where there is relational disharmony and disunity that is becoming the norm and nobody cares anymore. And that may not be, you might think, well, I don't go to this church right But I, even in your own Christian friendships, your relationships, your marriage, other things like that, if relational disunity has become normed, the standardized norm in your own relationship or relationships, I think Jesus says, I, I don't care how much theology you know. I don't care how many Bible verses you can recite. If you don't have that relational love for one another, I am not there anymore. That's a pretty powerful thing to say for Jesus to say. I'm not there. Because he said earlier, and John remembers this. John wrote Revelation. John wrote the Gospel of John. He remembers Jesus saying, all men will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. It's the greatest way to communicate the Gospel of Jesus. It's not through well-tuned outlines. Not that outlines are bad to present the Gospel. It's not through gospel music that can communicate to people and get people to feel nostalgic and emotional. But Jesus himself said the way that the world, the way your neighbors and friends and coworkers are going to know that Jesus is real and his power is real is because of how he, how he or she, your neighbors, friends, enemies, see you in relationship with other Christians. That's what's going to be the most powerful thing. So again, this question is important in that sense because if it, it gets to the fact of how we lost our first love. So if there's somebody that comes to mind that's a forgiveness person for you and you still haven't pushed to that, the challenge from Jesus himself is repent. Do something this week that moves yourself toward forgiveness and quit living in a status quo relationship with that person. All right, last question. Now, this question, uh, you've heard again. If you've been in Exodus at all, you've heard this question, what brings you joy lately? And it's a question I like to ask people. I even ask people in that casual conversation. Not because... I want to hear some really glib answer about what I call plastic happiness that some people think Christians are supposed to have. Yes, I'm happy in the Lord or whatever. It's like, no, no, really, what brings you joy? And I ask that question of others because I want to keep that on my front burner. Because it seems to me like joy is what ought to be marking my life. And I think it's what Jesus said. So if, if I keep asking myself and thinking about Okay, there's certain joyful events I can point to. My kids, my marriage, things like that. Good things that happen. You know, a great cherry popsicle or whatever. I don't know. But isn't, aren't, am I not supposed to live in a continual state of increasing life-giving joy? And Jesus in this passage to the Ephesians says, if you overcome these things, if you push past the fear you have of those draw a line in the sand conversations and relationships, if you push past that, if you push past those forgiveness issues that you can't seem to let go or don't want to let go, if you push, if you overcome those things, he says, I will give you fruit from the tree of life, from the paradise of God. And that's symbolic for saying, I'm going to give you the life and the joy that you thought you've never had, but you've always wanted. And immediately our reaction is, well, what... But I'm afraid that if I do this, I'm afraid if I die. That person hurt me. You don't know how much they hurt me. I'm human. I've been hurt, okay? Maybe not to the extent of you have. Maybe not the same way. But I understand that. But if you want the, the life that Jesus promised, fruit from the tree of life from the paradise of God, life of joy, goodness, strength, passion, energy, that kind of life, 
But Jesus says, you got to hear what he has to say. You have to let him challenge you. Let him affirm you too. If there's things that you want, maybe you just need to relish this week in, in, the, in the proudness of Jesus toward you. Think of the things that you believe Jesus is proud of you for. That's okay. Do that. Maybe that's your whole week. Maybe, maybe the whole corrective thing is something you need to put aside for a while. Maybe your, your struggle is, I don't even feel like God likes me. I don't think Jesus even likes me, let alone proud of me. But for some of us, it's the corrective part we need to be hearing of the spirit of Jesus. Some need to hear affirmation and let, I'll let all of us kind of make that decision in our life with God. Some of you need to hear affirmation from God. Let him affirm you this week. Some of you need to hear corrective. Some of us need to hear corrective. And all of us because we want to have that kind of life that Jesus said he promised us. Let me pray uh, and then we're going to take communion. Jesus, we uh, thank you, Jesus, that you walk among us that you walk the streets of Bloomington. You not only walk the streets of Bloomington, you come into our homes, our apartments, our dorm rooms. You get in our cars, you come where we work. You see our conversations. You see even the, uh, the turnings and twistings of our heart. You see the things we've done really that make you proud. And you've seen the things that we've done that just kill your heart. But Jesus, you love us anyway. And um, we want to respond to you. We want to hear what you have to say and respond. And uh, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.